like Phoebe and I used to make everything ourselves. So like I'd be creating the patterns in our shed and we were making make to order things for people, which probably wasn't the best business model. Like if you think about the amount of work that goes into making one particular pattern for one garment, and then we ended up becoming like a bespoke fashion label. You're listening to Producing with Purpose, an ethical business podcast with me, Tony Corrales. We'll be speaking to some of the greatest CEOs, creatives, founders, and entrepreneurs who have established and managed companies that put ethical practices at the forefront of their mission, all whilst navigating the challenges of the business world. Hello and welcome to episode one of Producing with Purpose, a brand new ethical business podcast. In just a few minutes on today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Ashley Pierce. Ash is a co-founder along with me and the director of design at the new vegan fashion label we're starting called No Skin. But before we get into that, I just want to give a little bit of an introduction of what this podcast is and why it's come online. As I embark on this new venture of creating an ethical business, I wanted to speak to other founders, CEOs, creators, makers, entrepreneurs who have all done a similar thing, where they take something they really believe in, they combine it with a business idea, and ultimately they want to do good and have good impact, but they also really want to make a living out of this. They want to make money. We're not going to shy away from the fact that this is an aspiration to have a successful business. That's exactly what I want to talk about on Producing With Purpose, is how we can take that aspiration to do good and we can take that aspiration to be successful entrepreneurs and we can create it into something incredible that people can get around, people can enjoy the brand, and we can ultimately lift this and come in towards disrupting a market. So we're going to be speaking to people from all different sectors. I'm coming at this from the fashion sector and that's why we've got Ash today because she's got a hell of a lot more experience in that world than I do. But we're also going to speak to people who are in the food industry, who are in beauty, who are in health, who are in, you know, toiletry products, anything like that. And we're going to find out how they've combined a vision to do good with their aspiration to be a successful business. This is going to be a really interesting journey, especially for me to embark on and speak to some wonderful people. And I'm really happy that you've come along and joined us on this journey from episode one. Or if you've actually come from a future time and you're listening back, then it's great that you're digging through the back catalogue. If you are coming in from episode one, you'll see that we've actually launched with two subsequent episodes as well, just so that you can get stuck in and get around what we're talking about here. And those episodes are with Nick, the founder of the ethical and fair trade certified fashion brand Etico, which is a really interesting chat. And also with Emily, who is the founder of Serotonin Eatery, which is a positivity, mindfulness, plant-based cafe experience in Melbourne. And that's a really inspiring, really good chat to talk about turning a business into something that you've always dreamed of. Part of the reason for creating Producing With Purpose is that as I go on this venture of starting a new ethically-based business, I want to get in front of 50, 60 people who have done this before me so that I can ask questions, I can get inspiration. I want to soak in the knowledge and also pass that on to anybody else who's listening and inspire them of what can be done when you put your dream in front of you and you go and chase it. Or just to know that ethical businesses are in good hands and the future is bright for people who want to make a difference in the way that they sell. So that means that throughout 2021, we're going to be speaking to someone every week and releasing an episode on a weekly basis. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're going to be on all major podcast networks or just check back every week or follow noskin.co on Instagram for updates of when these episodes go out. With that first episode intro out of the way, let's jump into the first conversation with Ash. 
my name is Ash, uh, Ashley. I am a part co-owner of No Skin. Yeah. And I am the first podcast guest here today. So happy to be here and be the guinea pig. Tell us a little bit. We'll talk about some of the things that you've done and then we'll talk a bit about No Skin as well. So the purpose of today in this introduction is to get people who are listening to the podcast to understand a little bit about what we do, um, to give some context to the overall podcast and also to give a flavor of what then we'll be doing with guests who come on the show. Um, but before we go into that, I think it's important as well. We're just going to have a chat today about sustainability or ethics in business, in fashion in general. And you are the person I know who's best placed to speak to some of that, just from your experience in the industry. So give us, give us your resume in a few words. Um, yeah, I've been working in the fashion industry in Melbourne for about 10 years. And I've kind of dallied in kind of bigger consumer fashion, so bigger companies. And I've also played around with doing my own business. Um, so I guess I've had a, like a broad range of experience and kind of things and what it can throw at you. Um, it's been interesting to see like the super fast way of working and then super slow on the other end of the scale. So I do have a pretty good insight into kind of what that looks like. So you started your own company or co-founded a different company prior to the one that we're working on. Um, and that was Vovo. So how did, how did that come about and what was the inspiration around starting that? When I started Vovo um, with my business partner, we actually used to work at the same kind of faster fashion company together. We worked for a company called 3by1, who's a denim company, uh, really well respected here in Melbourne and they were great to work for. But at the same time, I guess I felt myself pulling away from that kind of spin of constant churn and burn and the industry is a little bit kind of what people think it is like it can be a little bit intense and lots of overtime and weekends and I guess when you start to like see a bit more of it and how much you're kind of going through it makes you want to slow down a little bit um when I quit that job I didn't really expect to pick up fashion again but then kind of being out in the scene like my business partner we knew each other from out and about and going to see gigs and we have a band together and we thought it'd be really fun just to get creative and start making things ourselves and you know, we, we set up in her shed in a, in a garage and we put some walls on and we got a couple of industrial machines and we started sewing things and kind of started an Instagram and just did it that way. So with Vovo as well, you know, I did a little bit of digging through and this is a podcast that's going out in Australia. So people would like to know a little bit about the time that you designed for the Veronica's. Oh my God, that was so, that was like, we were kind of starting out then and this publicist from the Veronica's got in touch with us because she'd seen our Instagram and they really liked what we were doing. And we had two days to make these two suits. She sent us their measurements and they were like, we want you to make these suits for the Veronica's. And they sent us, um, you know, Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. Is that a Baz Luhrmann one? Is that his film? Must have been. And they sent us like a picture of Lena DiCaprio in that kind of blue printed floral shirt and that like epic scene. And they're like, we want this, but on suits. Hmm. And we were just like, okay, we don't know how we're going to make this happen, but we have to do it because we have to have them in our suits. Like this is a really good opportunity. So we ended up designing the print ourselves based off an image um, and then finding a local manufacturer who actually got it printed onto fabric for us. And then while that was happening, I was making patterns for the suits to their measurements. And then we were getting the suits printed in that kind of 24 hour. And then we have cutting it out and sewing them together and sending them off. It was just like a, it was absolutely a hectic 48 hours of power. But um, we got there. The fastest slow fashion in the world. 
like Phoebe and I used to make everything ourselves. So like I'd be creating the patterns in our shed and we were making make to order things for people, which probably wasn't the best business model. Like if you think about the amount of work that goes into making one particular pattern for one garment, and then we ended up becoming like a bespoke fashion label and we were making things for people on the fly. Um, It's really hard for fledgling businesses. Like we were both working, I was working two other jobs whilst I was trying to get this business off the ground because it doesn't make enough money, you know, to get by. Like, we didn't have a whole lot of capital to invest into this, you know, brand. So we were just doing it, you know, really grassroots and pushing by and people don't still don't want to pay. Like they, they see us sitting there making it with our bare hands and like, but people still have a cap on what they will spend. With Vovo, you, you know, you got to dress the Veronica's or, you know, design for the Veronica's. Um, were, were there any other highlights of that time? It was, it was actually like a really interesting time because it was just the two of us in a studio. Like we had other jobs, but like we were offered some really like interesting gigs. Like one of our very first gigs was actually designing, helping create costumes for a King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard film clip. Amazing. So, and they're really fun to work with. Our band has actually toured with them before and we got to know them after that. But when we first kind of met those guys, they were asking us to create these weird one-of-a-kind costumes like created from nowhere it was bizarre like at people vultures the clip was called and like i think the first thing i made for them was like these like pink terry tailing um legs that were to come out of a 10 foot bird you know (laughs) (laughs) just bizarre and then like another time we um our friend uh danny cohen he does a lot of film and um clip directing and he asked us to do all the costumes for a Courtney Barnett film clip. Nice. So that was awesome. Like we actually got like driven up into rural Victoria to be on set to do like costume and like dress all the extras and dress Courtney for this film clip and create her outfits. So it was really great. But like obviously like kind of putting ourselves into the music sphere, it's not really a high paying sphere and it's a very like kind of ongoing joke of anyone who's a musician or in the music industry. There's not a whole lot of money there. So yeah. Um, taking these jobs is really fun and creative for us but you know unfortunately like you kind of do it out of yeah the love for the creative vibe not necessarily for the paycheck no for sure and I think it's great you know it's the same as in many things it's nice to be able to have that creative outlet so which I guess goes to my last um, question about Vovo then is you know Vovo in, in my mind really is what slow sustainable fashion is at its absolute core you are producing one of a kind garments and you were producing these garments, not just for people that you were selling to on, you know, on a small independent boutique store, but you were, you know, you were putting these garments onto the Veronica's and Courtney Barnett and, you know, some really established people and well-known people. But, um, you know, that's, that's not really enough, I suppose, to pay the bills. No, but it's, it's enough to be recognized. Like we were so um, honored when we got, we were asked to join the sustainability runway. Like normally like brands have to pay sometimes to, you know, show in fashion week. And when we were asked, we were like, like, yeah, besotted. And we're like, of course, but like we made every garment for that runway from scratch, like with by hand and with remnant fabric. And it's hard because it's, it's a great model and it was such a fun and great, amazing thing to be a part of, but at the same time there isn't a huge market for it and like where do you go with it it's such a challenge as well because in in a way and you know despite what we're doing which is you know we're still producing with intention or producing with purpose but you you know you were producing slow sustainable fashion one-of-a-kind garments that in a way is what you know we if we were all wearing that we would be having 
such less environmental impact. There would be such less transportation of clothing. I mean, obviously, you've still got to take into account the fabrics. But I suppose from a from a cost and logistics standpoint, then actually it's not sustainable. And you're always going to then get the thing that if you become, you know, Vovo becomes the brand that people love and they want the one of a kind of, you will then get to a tipping point where you can no longer produce to the demand and therefore you have to start manufacturing in yeah, automated 100%. processes. So we were always kind of, we always were tilting on the edge of like, do we go bigger and what do we do and how does that look? And, you know, like we're producing like, I think one of my favorite things that I did um, for Kaiit, I produced a dress for her for the Arias and she came into the studio and she was like, this is kind of what I want. And it's beautiful because we actually like, they sent, they show us images of what they see and then we tell them what we think will look great. And, you know, like we make these outfits from scratch. Like we actually like scribble it down and then we like go and find the materials and we scurry. And but there's a lot of time in that. And as I think, I think people, it's hard for people to appreciate how much thought and time and effort goes into those kind of outfits. Imagine, I mean, even the, you know, the length of time that goes into designing, you know, designing our product and to do something that's that boutique or that unique. And that's a, it's an intensive process and a lot of effort, but an amazing experience. Yeah, it was, it's amazing. It still is. It's still like, it's still our baby, but you know, it's hard when you, I mean, there's definitely brands that I've seen that have done it, that have managed to do it and they, and you have to stick with it and you have to grow that customer clientele and you grow that base, but then you also have to have money to invest. You have to, the thing that I found really hard with onshore manufacture is that the minimum order quantities are the same as they are offshore. Whereas I feel like that used to be the point of difference is that you could get you know, 10 to 50 items made of anything. Now it's like you can't get a look in for under 300 items, which doesn't appeal to that kind of slow market either. And it's kind of, it's really tough. It's, yeah. I think one thing that was interesting for me and what, you know, we've spoken about and obviously for anyone listening, a bit of extra context is Ash and I aren't just speaking now. We speak multiple times a day and, have a lot of conversations around the, pro- the products that we're making at the moment. Um, and you've mentioned a few times that the bigger companies are actually quite beholden to the requests and the styles that are demanded from, from the end, the end supply or sorry, the end sellers really. So, you know, you, just skipping ahead a little bit, I suppose you were working at, um, you were working for Lee Australia and then all of the wholesale that they're doing to high street stores there's actually a lot of pressure coming from those stores, as I understand, for what Lee need to be producing so that they can sell. Oh, 100%. It's really interesting because, I mean, I would get really frustrated because I'm, you know, I'm quite passionate about what I do. Um, I, you know, I was brought into Lee for a reason to kind of shake it up and mix it up and do something new. And I feel like when I tried to do that and tried to kind of push out of the box a little bit, there's a lot of pushback, which I'm okay with. Um but I found it interesting and I did see a lot of like commonalities between that workplace and my old workplace at 3x1 as well. Um, and not trying to say that either of those companies are wrong. I just feel like there is this model that's kind of created in the market. And there are a lot of like superpowers like General Pants and Universal Store and, you know, Glue and these big. And I feel like the buyers are kind of wanting the same thing from all the brands. And there's not really you kind of walk in there and it's just like it's just a flood. So I feel like those stores also have a lot of responsibility and a lot to answer for in terms of kind of directing that because they're also the ones that are demanding, you know, the range sizes. And one thing that I found working for these companies is that you would present these whole ranges um, and then the problem with these retailers is that 
they all want their own unique standpoint because they're all competing against each other as well. So they're all competing against each other. So they don't want a product that we're producing that General Pants is having and Universal don't want something, you know, that Glue and Edge is having. And it becomes a real issue because then we end up producing these huge ranges to try and fit everyone to have a separate kind of sample. And we just, no one's kind of buying from this original range that we've designed for them all. Like it's, so we're competing with these people competing against each other. And so we end up creating these SMUs, they're called special makeups. So along with the ranges that we create each season, we then have to create special makeups for each individual retailer so that they can cater to their customers. They get to throw an exclusively made tag on it and then it makes it special. And then it makes them bring the consumer into their store rather than into another store. That's really interesting. I had no idea that that was the case. SMUs, that's totally new to me. And, you know, we've been talking about this and working on a lot of this stuff for a while and then thinking of that from the i suppose the back office perspective you've got you've got a range that ash has designed and you know you've got these products here and they could have certain materials and of course then they're going to have a certain price point and the price point is going to be higher if you're using better materials if you're using better processes for actually creating the end product and then instead of all of these high street retailers taking a version of that product and therefore you can make x thousand of them You've now got to make adjustments and you've got to make exactly. different versions. You've got to bring down the minimum order quantity or you've got to, you know, you've got to bring down the actual quantity that you're placing at the volume, which is then going to consequently drive up the cost of each unit and means that you then have to start compromising on some of those materials to still meet your target 100%. price. It's like we're giving a limit. Like I want to use really nice fabrics to make sure that the garments have longevity, but I'm given a limit, like a, a cap on you know the amount that I can spend on a certain denim fabric so mm. I guess I've kind of gone wild like starting our label I got really excited to actually see these beautiful like Japanese denims and be like oh, I can take my pick and I can choose whatever one I want whereas working for these companies is like well this is you can kind of have one of these but like you can't go too far like a lot of it a lot of, a lot of my job is costing and keeping costs down which I understand but when you're making a really big range of products, yeah, like you have to bring the cost down as a whole. And so all these things just start getting sacrificed. And yeah. So what, what are the, some of the things that would be sacrificed then in terms of bringing that cost down? Oh, like anything, like pocket bag quality, like um, wash processes, like everything, like um, trims. Like I remember getting the trims redone and, you know, just having a sacrifice on the quality of those to bring just like even a few cents. Like we're trying to scrape together a few cents here and there because you imagine a thousand products, you know, times this many items, like it actually adds up. Course, and so yeah. you end up just like, you know, scrimping and saving and it's, it just affects the, all the products as a whole, mm. like whether you like to think it or not. Was there, was there ever a time when you were looking at, you know, you were looking at a design or you were producing a design and you wanted to do something of a certain quality or of a certain fabric, you know, maybe it was using something like a recycled cotton for denim instead of, um, you know, virgin cotton or something like that. Did you ever experience a time where to improve the quality or improve the process, the final RRP was increased to accommodate an increased production cost? Or is it always about keeping no, that the well, same? That's the hard thing. Not really. Like I wanted to produce a whole separate range of high-end garments so that we could actually get it into the market and see how that would retail. Because I think there's this whole thing around customer perception. And if a customer sees a jean that is 20 or $30 more, they're going to know that they're getting value for money. And they're actually going to prefer that over the cheaper denim. Like, I think I know that, but, you know, I'm not an analyst. I'm not sure. But it was really hard because I was kind of boxed in in a lot of ways because we weren't allowed to raise the RRPs. Like, we were, we, you know, we had to make sure that we we're meeting the RRP because we were sitting in a certain standpoint in the retailer's store. 
So our main kind of, you know, wholesalers were, we were already pigeonholed. Like your lead's allowed to be from this price to this price. And then, oh no, this other brand is the higher price point of brand. You can't be that in our store. So they've already like, kind of filled all their quotas and so you have to stay where you are. So it's really hard to kind of, um, you know, move as a company and change and adapt and that's kind of that kind of pushback that I felt working there as well. Like I felt like they wanted me to change and they wanted me to do things but I just was very confined in what I could actually do. I think one of the things, you know, one of the things that we're, we're going to ask ourselves along the way or I know, I know I've asked myself and changing the subject a little bit is there are there are so many brands out there there are so many clothes out there and there is so much textile waste and that is one of the big problems that we face um i feel like we could easily you know we could easily confront the question so we might as well ask it to ourselves is why add to that so even if we do come in from the approach of having you know an ethical brand a vegan brand a brand that considers our manufacturing processes and makes things that are to last and you know we don't we don't overproduce and things like that. Do you think that there's value in bringing a brand to the market that tries to change people's minds or should people just stop making clothes? I mean, it's hard to say. I feel like, I think it is important. I think when yourself and Jai came to me with this idea, I was a little bit skeptical again. I'm like, okay, another, you know, brand, but like looking at your business proposition and looking at how you were going to position yourself in the market and why and I think that's really important like there is like a you want to lead people in the right direction and you don't want people to be buying vegan clothes because they're vegan or vegan shoes because they're vegan you want them to buy them because they're fucking cool and they want to wear them it's like that's how you change people's minds and you let them know that you know you can have all these things you can have the quality and you can have the great styling and you can have it all but it doesn't have to contain animal products you know like i think there's definitely something in that and it's something that we all know lacks in the current market mm-hmm. good well i'm glad that you feel we have a purpose in existing <laughs> <laughs> yes i do i hope you're enjoying episode one of producing with purpose and along with this launch we've released two other episodes which you can go and check out after this one In one, we're speaking to Nick, the founder of the Australian fair trade fashion label Etico. And then in the other one, we're speaking with Emily Hazel, the founder and visionary behind Serotonin Eatery, a plant-based, mindfulness and positivity-inspired cafe experience in Burnley in Melbourne. Both of these chats bring their own dynamic and their own interesting subjects to the table, but both of them contain great inspirational advice about starting a business and also really dig into some of the underlying reasons for creating their own companies. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast anywhere you listen to it and keep checking back week on week for new releases. I talked a little bit about how yeah, we're starting this brand and part of this podcast is going to be document, documenting our journey as well and the things that we do and some of the obstacles we come up against as well. Um, so it's a little bit of a plug along the way, of course, but tell us a little bit about the things that you're doing in the design process for No Skin that take into account a lot of the things we've talked about today. Um, I think it's really great. I think having the background that I've had of super fast and super slow fashion, like I can bring all of these things together, aspects together to create something that I'm really proud of. And I think the integrity of our product is so good. Like I just feel really good about it. Like, you know, like our makers offshore are amazing and I can, I can kind of talk about 
what we want to see and what we want in the product. Like I can survey and make sure that things are being constructed the best they can possibly be to be long-term lasting garments. We can select the materials as we want to select them. We can kind of spend that extra time and that extra money on making sure that our products are something that is going to last and be, you know, a wardrobe staple, if not passed down. Like we definitely don't want to go down the road of creating things just for the sake of creating them. Like we've really thought about every product that we've made and we've spent time on it, like probably to our supplier's dismay, like I'm to the millimeter on a lot of things and making sure that things are going to, you know, last a distance. So I don't know, I feel good about it. Being able to like do this brand and be able to spend the time on something that I really believe in and products that I think, you know, will appeal to a wide audience as well as an audience that kind of has that kind of vegan and ethical sustainability aspect in mind as well. Like I think the point that we're trying to get through is to break out of that vegan stereotype mold of a brand. And I want people to come to us and buy our product because it's, it's fucking great. Not, you know, for these other aspects. And then those things are just a bonus. And I think that all brands should be designing that way. Um, It's just, I guess it's hard. Like, yeah, so people are coming to our brand because of the way it looks and the way that things are made and, you know, the way that we're going to market it as well. That's a big part of this. It's, you know, it is the marketing behind it. But the great thing is, is that we're getting people to buy our product and we're getting people to love our products. But the founders behind it are doing it with sustainability in mind and with ethics in mind as well. And it's like, instead of people coming to us because they want something spe- specifically ethical, they come to us because they like the style. And then we're making the proactive change that people are then ending up with ethical products as well, which I think is a little bit of what the market shift needs to have. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that needs to be at the forefront of people's minds when they are creating product. I mean, I think it comes as a bit of a kind of last resort token. And when, you know, big manufacturers are, they're pushing products out and like, Hey, quickly, how can we market this as sustainable? Or how do we make this look a certain way? Whereas we're thinking about that from the get go. We're like, how can we do this better? And, it's something that we will consistently look at and try and monitor and make sure that we're, you know, like even you starting this podcast is a way for you to kind of figure out how other brands have managed to do that and what their thinking is. And I think that's a really great proactive way to be doing it. I think so. And, you know, from a, from a business perspective, which is where a lot of this podcast, you know, we've got a bit of both coming into this. Um, it is, it is a challenge and it's hard and it's sometimes concerning to think of, you know, we're going to be a new brand coming onto you know coming onto people's radars with price points that are you know at times higher than some of those high street brands and even the places that people are used to shopping day to day and we have to try and educate along the way that there's a reason why things are this price and you know as somebody who started the business and did the numbers and figured out you know how can how can we make a living out of doing something that we're really passionate about doing as well it's kind of shocking along the way to realize how expensive it is to do things well and do things properly, mm. which then reinforces that concern for me when I see things on the high street that are really fucking cheap. Um, and it's, just a, it's a slow ship that we're steering around and, you know, we're doing it our way and we're making sure that that kind of product is there for people when they want to buy it. And I think the consumer is coming around like. So what do you think the consumer can do then outside of fashion? Let's have well, a little chat about that. It's kind of hard because it's, it sounds weird coming from a brand that like obviously wants to sell and we need to make a profit and we need to make sure our product sells. So it seems like kind of counterintuitive to be, well, you should buy less and think more. But I do think that's a very important message that, you know, there is so many people in this world now and people do need to think more about what they're buying and how they're spending their money. 
you know, even though we want to be like, buy, 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 buy our product. But I, I think I feel confident enough in our product that we can tell people to buy less and buy well. And I know that we will kind of stand against that kind of test. I think so as well. And, you know, realistically, I think that's why the three of us come together in a good place of a partnership and creating this business is we, you know, we all want to do well as a business because we all want to be able to do this for the long haul as well. Um, but I, yeah, I want people to come along and love our product and buy it. And then that lasts them a long time. And if that means that they don't buy something from the next range that we release because they want to have a minimalist wardrobe and they want to have their staples, then that's awesome because it's, you know, we've got that customer and when the time does come, they can return to us yeah. and we know that they've given them something, you know, we've given them something they can be really happy with for a long yeah. time as well. It's, it's giving that customer the confidence to choose well. And I think we do that through our marketing. Other brands do that through their marketing as well. And this is a problem. Like it is a bit of a, I don't know, it's a bit of a jungle out there of consumers knowing when to buy and who to buy from because everyone's kind of selling this message of sustainability without knowing where it's actually coming from so i suppose wrapping up you know we've been through the journey of all the really cool stuff that you've done with vovo and the you know one of a kind creation all the way through to the you know bulk creation and bulk design for lee um and also you know for three by one to an extent as well the you know clothing that sold out in general pants universal and things like that and now you've found I guess what's somewhere somewhere in the middle. I think it's my happy middle ground. I feel really good about it. It was like when this opportunity came along, it was right at the kind of the start end of COVID and um, Jai is a really old friend of mine and he had me in mind to approach me about this job and the night that we actually met up, I had been made redundant due to COVID. Yeah. Um, so when he kind of laid this on my lap, I was going to be sitting at home for the next six months doing nothing. So I was like, well, that actually sounds like a really great thing to lay my energy into, <laughs> to be honest. I think we got, we got very, very lucky. Um, you know, for, for people listening, Sajai is the third, you know, the third part of the, the trio that has founded No Skin with me and Ash. Um, and originally this started off as something that I went to Jai and spoke about and he was like, yeah, cool. I've, you know, had similar ideas in the past. Let's, let's create something. And then we sat there looking at all the things we could do in terms of, you know, do we become a retailer of great ethical vegan products or do we become a brand of our own products? And the actual thought of Jai and I sitting here without, without Ash, um, you know, and basically the shit we would have ended up producing is pretty terrifying so that was a oh, very thanks. very I lucky think that's break a nice compliment <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh it definitely is no um yeah i mean it's it's amazing and that's why we're really excited for what we're producing and you know we'll on this podcast we'll talk a lot more in the future as well and when i sort of do my introductions and summaries we'll talk a lot more about the business side of no skin which is my area but um yeah, it's, it's such a tough balance as well to find people in this industry as well. And that's what I found more and more is to find people in this industry who, when I say to them, hey, we want to, you know, we want to do these shoes, we want to do these jackets, but we want to do them and we want to make sure the materials are coming from good places. We want to make sure that the materials are not basically contributing to the massive problem that there already is. It's great that you've come in from a design perspective where you're also passionate about bringing that as well. 100%. I'm so on board. as I should be (laughs) so I suppose to finish up then and because you know this is episode one there is a little bit of a shameless plug involved as well and we are talking about no skin our own brand whereas all the other episodes we're going to be talking to other you know other founders CEOs and creatives from their brands what is your what is your favorite product that we're going to be we're going to be releasing with no skin in January February 2021 
Well, it's really funny actually because when you guys first came to me with the idea for no skin, it was going to be a shoe brand. So like Tony had already found this amazing you know manufacturer in Brazil who was completely ethical and had these great materials that were just like. And I was like, well, I've never designed shoes before, but you know what? I'm going to give it a crack. And I just like, it was actually so fun. And um, Gabriel, who we work with, was like really open to me asking lots of questions and figuring out the process. And it's really not that different. It's just like kind of putting yourself out of your comfort zone. And as much as I'm really looking forward to like the denim and the jackets and the things that I've done before coming in, like the shoes, I'm kind of, I'm almost like really proud and I'm really stoked. I'm like, I'm really excited to actually wear this and, you know, like, just something that is yeah I just feel like there's such of a high quality and standard and you know I'm really just excited to see that end product I'm excited to wear our boots yeah for sure that's the product that I'm really excited about definitely (laughs) something to be proud of it's going to be amazing so um all right Ashville thanks very much for joining us on episode one of producing with purpose I think we've covered a whole bunch of different things um you know we're going to be going back and looking at this and Hopefully we'll be proud of what was the first episode of this podcast not that, and not cringing the way <laughs> that we'll also, cringe. yeah, there's definitely going to be some yeah. cringe, but, um, no, it's been great and it's been interesting, you know, for anyone listening, I hope it was interesting for you and I've been working with Ash for six months or so now, and I've learned a lot today as well. So it's just been fun to sit down have a drink and chat shit for an hour. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Wraps up episode one of producing with purpose. Thanks again for joining and a big thanks again to Ash for being the episode one guest. I hope you took something from that conversation and I think it's a really key thing to talk about how we purchase with some more intention as we come into this holiday period. If you are out there doing shopping, Christmas shopping or whatever it is for family members, for friends, for people you care about, just take that extra second to think about what you're purchasing and Is this something that someone's going to truly value? Is it going to be something that contributes more to their life? Is it something that's going to last them a long time? Or is it something that in three, six, nine months is just going to get chucked away and added into that problem we've got of waste in so many different industries? If you want a bit more information about that or some other ideas as well, I have released a blog on noskin.co, which is some ways to gift with a bit more purpose this holiday period. And in addition to that on noskin.co, you can also see the show notes of this episode where we feature some images of the outfits that Ash has talked about today, some links to some of the videos that she's designed costumes for, uh, and just anything else and a bit of a summary of our conversation. So thanks again for joining and hope to see you in episode two.